Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing in the room today? Everybody good? Everybody good? I want to say a big hello to all of you with us online. Thank you for joining us. Anybody that's out in the lobby or in the tent, thank you as well. Give it up for those guys out there, everybody, real quick, would you? Thank you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors uh, here at LifePoint, and I'm so glad you're with us today, especially if you're a guest. Thank you for joining us. Uh, kind of cold morning, and uh, thank God, right? Come as it was a little bit hot yesterday, and I'm so glad for cold in December after all. Come on, somebody. Um, and uh, we want some, uh, we don't want snow, but uh, we'll take cold. Uh, we're happy for that. Um, we're so glad you're here. A uh, couple things before I jump in. Um, number one, I want to just say a big thank you um, to everybody who called, who texted, who messaged us um, with the loss of my mom and all the cards that I received. And I want to just say a huge, huge thank you for your support. It meant so much to me and our family. And so thank you. Thank you for that. The second thing I want to tell you is um, this is the season of Advent. And um, Advent is, it's like a coming, it's a, it's a preparation time. And to help people with that, we're sending out a daily email um, of Advent devotionals, Advent writings, scriptures to read, uh, thoughts to think, prayers to pray. And we'd love to get that to you. If you're not already receiving that, it comes out every morning, has been for uh, the last week and a half or so, um, but it's not too late to jump in. You can go by Next Step Central, give them your email. They'll make sure that you get on that Advent devotional. You can also download the entire devotional that was put together by uh, part of our team here, and uh, you can catch up if you're behind. Uh, but we'd love for you to join with us on that. Today is a uh, special day. Today is um, a standalone message day where we're going to be doing a Christmas message. And what I want to do today is because I know you know, most of you know the Christmas story, Mary, Joseph, the, the ride to Bethlehem on a donkey, baby Jesus, the, the angel choir, the shepherds, the wise men, you know, you know all that. What I want to talk to you about today is the backstory. Uh, you know how when they have made so many Iron Man movies that they have to go back and, and do a prequel. Come on, you know what I'm saying? Or like, it, it can't be just Star Wars. It's got to be like the prequel to Star Wars because you need to know what happened before everything happened. Can, you know what I'm talking about? Four people. All right, all right. And four, four of you guys now. Um, the, the Christmas story is amazing um, all by itself, but there is a lot of backstory that leads to the story that sometimes gets lost, forgotten, or just not understood at all by um, maybe the casual observer to the main story. And so I want to take us through some of the backstory. Uh, it, the backstory is massive, so I'm just going to take you through a sort of just a sliver of it. Um, the prequel, so to speak. And this message today is, is probably 90% history lesson and 10% application, so if you're sleepy, slap yourself around a little bit and uh, wake up and, and lean in. Um, if I hear any slaps, I'm going to kind of get tickled. It'll be funny, right? Um, uh, many parts of the Christmas story were actually um, prophesied or foretold long before the actual uh, story unfolded. So when we think about the Christmas story and all of the happenings of it, the things that happened that the eyewitnesses that were there um, heard, saw, um, most of that stuff had been 
prophesied hundreds of years before it happened, which is an amazing thing um, that men hundreds of years prior could foretell the exact happenings and the exact order that would happen. So imagine if that happened today, right? Imagine if some guy gets up and says, here's who's in the Super Bowl. Here's who the teams are. Here's who the MVP is. Here's the final score. And then it happens just as this person says, person gets famous. And come on, rich. Come on, somebody, and rich. Um, we would, we'd be like, that's crazy that that guy could do that. Now, often though, when we read the Bible and the very same thing happens, we're like, oh, that's neat. No, it's not neat, everybody. It's a really big deal that what happened was foretold. And today we're going to look at one of those prophecies and we'll start out a little bit academic, but bear with me. Uh, as I unfold the relevance of this ancient prophecy to our lives in 2023. Let me just say this as a kind of um, as a kind of insight into the way that pastors, preachers, leaders, communicators think. Oftentimes, messages like this will come out of of your own story, your own circumstances. And for me, this message is coming out of the story that I'm living in right now. My own my own relevance. So I just want you to know that this is a message for me um, that, that, that maybe God will give to you as well. Does that make sense? Um, I love this story because it addresses a question that sometimes pops up, um, at least in my head, when, when I'm going through struggles or difficulties or uncertain outcomes are facing me. And the, the question is, does God keep his promises? And does he show up in the hard seasons of our lives? Not, not just for other people, but, but does he show up for me? Like, is, is God really active in human history? Is he, is he part of the orchestration of all of the things that happen? Is God, furthermore, is... Is he active in my life? Does God care about the details of my life? Because sometimes, when we're honest, we can look at the events and the circumstances of our own lives, surrounding our own lives, and, and of course we would probably acknowledge, yes, of course there is a God, but we can wonder sometimes if he knows what's happening in our lives and, and, and if he cares what's happening. And, and then if you... That, that's at the sort of granular level. But if you step back from a global perspective and you wonder, is God active in the world today? Like in the ongoing events of the world, all the chaos, the pain, the turmoil, which can seem so random. Like if God is, some people would say, is God, if God is really active in history and history is going somewhere, it has an outcome, a destination, then shouldn't it be linear rather than so abstract and seemingly chaotic and messy? It is, so, some people would go on and further say, well, is God even real, right? Or, or, or is God a man-made construct for people who meant well to help people who are going through hard times, struggling through the pain and misery of life to give them some hope? I, I think people can think this 
Even sometimes believers can go here because of the seeming randomness and chaos of the world. It can seem to people like God isn't really in the mix. Oh, maybe he exists, probably he does, but, but maybe he's not actively participating because of the turmoil, because of what's happening in my life, and we wonder, does he care, does he know, and does he keep his promises? And we come to this story that we're going to unpack, and, and as you read it, and I hope you will, because I can't delve off into all of it, and you, once you read it, you begin to understand the implications of it, it could serve as a reminder that yes, God is in control, and yes, he is active in the affairs of men in the, and, and of the world. And that any promise God makes, God will keep. He will keep. We're going to spend most of our time in Isaiah this morning, but to set it up, I want to read part of the, of the Christmas story, the narrative of the birth of Jesus in Matthew's gospel. Mary has a vision from, from an angel. You're going to give birth to a son. Even though you're not married yet, you're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph, who is pledged to be married to Mary by his parents, we're not even sure if they knew each other or even liked each other. Come on, somebody, right? This is how it worked in the culture. And Matthew says in verse, chapter 1, verse 20, but after he had considered this, this is Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary uh, home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And here's why. Because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to, say this with me, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The prophet in this case is the prophet Isaiah or Isaiah. Um, and then he says, verse 23... The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, say this with me, God with us. Matthew wants to make sure that everybody knows that this is no ordinary birth. This is no, this is no ordinary happening. This is an, an event, which is a culmination of hundreds of years of God moving pieces around it's an event, it's an unfolding of a prophecy that had been made hundreds of years prior. Now, the sort of fascinating, fascinating thing about this prophecy was when it was given about 735 years before this, um, it made no sense to the man it was given to. It was given to one man for the sake of his country. It had no relevance at all, seemingly, to the, to the situation this man and his nation were facing. He was desperate for help, desperate for answers, and the answer he was given seemed useless to him. Now, let me give you some context, because you know the famous parts of this chapter. You may not know the context. So check out the screen here. On the screen, we have, the, this is the kingdom of Israel and Judah in the time of this writing that I'm going to read to you today. It had been divided. We call this the divided kingdom. The kingdom had separated 10 tribes in the north, the two tribes in the south. They were, they were at odds. They had been at war. They had split up. Kingdom of Israel in the north. Samaria is the capital. Kingdom of Judah in the south. Uh, Jerusalem is the ancestral capital of the entire thing. Up in the far right-hand right corner uh, is Damascus. 
um, which is Syria now, obviously. But in those days, it was called the Kingdom of Aram. Now, the northern, the northern part, capital Samaria, the southern part, Judah. At the time of the story, the king of Judah was a guy by the name of Ahaz. Um, he had received a message from the king of the north and the king of Aram, who said, hey, join us. We'll, we'll merge the three of our armies together, and we will go and attack Assyria. Now, if you're not familiar with the history, just for clarity, Assyria is not like them at all. It is an empire. It is made up of vassal states which pay homage and taxes to the king of Assyria. To, for context, it would be like if like Nicaragua and Costa Rica said, let's march north on the United States. Like, love Nicaragua, love Costa Rica, that would be a bad idea. Can I get an amen from somebody? That's what's being proposed here. Hey, let's go, the three of us little bitty provinces, let's go attack Assyria. Well, Ahaz, for all of his flaws, is not dumb. He realized this is a fool's errand. But what he also understands is, we can't defeat the Assyrians, but if I say no to these guys, they're likely to come down on me. And because the, the, the northern kingdom had always wanted Judah back because of, its, because of Jerusalem. Now, he knows whatever I decide now, I'm in serious trouble. And then to exacerbate his already tenuous situation, there's this other troubling reality, which is that Ahaz is a wicked king, right? And he has not chosen to follow God's commands. He was so bad, he was so evil that when he died, they would not even bury his body with all of the other kings. There was a graveyard for the kings. He wasn't allowed. So there was one option that other kings had had in past times that he did not have. When other kings would have a crisis that is this monumental, they would run into the temple or into the tabernacle before that, sort of throw themselves upon the mercy of God. God, help us. God, save us. You promised that you would be with us. You promised this through our father Abraham, that there was a covenant that you made. And God had done some amazing things militarily throughout the centuries to preserve his people. But because of his wickedness, Ahaz doesn't have this option. He had abandoned the ways of God. He had abandoned the house of God. He had taken other gods to himself. And so he's, he takes his chances. He sends back a message to the king of Aram, the king of Israel. Hey, guys, you guys go for it. Uh, I'm not going to join you. And sure enough, his fears are well-founded. Because the two armies join together, the armies of Aaron come south, they cross the Jordan River, and they begin to attack the border towns of Judah. The army of Israel comes down straight south and, and, and attacks the walls of Jerusalem. For a season, Ahaz and his army are able to defend themselves against the, the northern kingdom, repel the attackers. For a time, there was a reprieve while Israel regrouped uh, and, and joined together its armies outside the city. But then Ahaz gets this terrible message. And, and the word came from that down that the Arminians um, were leaving the border towns, the skirmishes that they were there. They were going to join their force with the northern uh, kingdom. And they were going to both together attack the walls of Jericho. Ahaz knows we can't defeat them both. And the Bible says that Ahaz was terrified. His people were terrified. And into all of this drama... God sends his man, the prophet Isaiah, with a message 
to the people of Judah and a message specifically to King Ahaz. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Isaiah 7, 2. Now the house of David was told. House of David is Judah. Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. Ephraim is another um, way to say Israel. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. And then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Sher Yashuv, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. That's a lot of details. Come on. Say to him, notice these words, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid, and do not lose heart. Because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, um, God through, through Isaiah says, listen, Ahaz, these two kings that are joining against you, these two nations that they represent, that you fear, that from, from my perspective, from God's perspective, he says, they're has-beens. Their, their, their flame has died down to a smoldering ember and their kingdom is already at an end. Don't be afraid. Verse five, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's sons have plotted, a son has plotted your ruin saying, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. God says their plan is to destroy you, divide up your kingdom, but that's not my plan. Verse seven, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, look how specific, Ephraim will be too shattered. Israel will be too shattered. Those 10 tribes will be too shattered to be a people. Um, they will never even exist as they do now. Verse nine, the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Ramalia's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. In other words, these countries are only as strong as their leaders and their leaders aren't very good. If you do not stand your faith, strong in your faith, you will not survive this. Now remember, Ahaz is this terrible, wicked king, disobeyed God, broke faith with God, broke covenant with God, the whole thing. And God says, I'm gonna give you another chance, Ahaz. I'm gonna allow you to redeem yourself, to return to your faith, to the faith of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know the history of your people, Ahaz. You know how many times I've acted on behalf um, of your people, how many times I've rescued you from various oppressors. Ahaz, return to your faith. Put your faith in me and watch what I'll do on your behalf. Apparently, as Isaiah is conveying this message to Ahaz, there's a look on his face. There's, a, there's some consternation, like I'm not buying any of this. And, and, and yeah, I'm afraid, and yeah, we're shaking like trees, but I'm not going to shift my allegiance from my gods, my little G-O-Ds, to your God, because Isaiah says in verse 10, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a, say it with me, for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. Before, before you turn away, Ahaz, before you say no to my help, before, I want to act on your behalf. And if you don't believe me, ask me for a sign and I'll do it. Something so big, so monumental that when it happens, you will know that God is on your side. You want a star? You want the stars to align? I'll do it. You, you want a mountain to rise up out of the depths of the sea? I'll do it. Just ask me for it. And Ahaz says in verse 12, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, 2 Kings 16 has a parallel story to this, tells us some more details uh, than what Isaiah gives us. 
we discover in 2 Kings that Ahaz has already enacted a different plan. He's already taken a portion of the wealth of the temple, sent it north to the king of Assyria, and says to the king, O king, please protect us. Take this gift of wealth and protect us from these two other kings. We're your, we're your, we're your loyal servants. We will serve you. March on Israel. March on Aram. And somehow Isaiah knows all of this because his response in verse 13 is this. Then Isaiah says, Hear now, you house of David, Judah, Ahaz, right? Is it not enough to try the patience of men of, of those two kings north of you? Will, you? will you try the patience of my God also? God's given you a second chance and you're going to reject him? Verse 14, therefore, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. You don't want to pick a sign? God's going to pick one for you. You don't want, you say you don't need my help, I'm going to come anyway. You don't want me to be part of the plan, I'm going to get involved anyway. I made a promise to your ancestor, King David, that I would protect his house, I'd protect his lineage, that there would always be a descendant on his throne. I'm going to give you a sign whether you want one or not, my man, bruh. Like, with or without your permission, Ahaz, I'm going to come to the aid of my people and to demonstrate this, I'm going to give you a sign whether you ask for it or not. And when I fulfill this sign, when this prophecy comes true, the nation and the world will know that I am the God who keeps his promises. And at this point, Ahaz is like, all right, give it to me. What you got? What's the sign? And this is the part that you already know. Verse 14, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. And Ahaz is going, what? That's, that's the sign that I'm going to get? A, a, a young girl's going to have a baby? That's the sign? You kidding me? That's all you've got? Had no impact on Ahaz whatsoever. Didn't even sound like a sign. Young women have babies all the time. And then Isaiah goes on and says, Ahaz, let me tell you what's going to happen. And this happens in a much longer span of time than I have time to read. But, but when it happens, I want you to know, you're going to come to know that God is God and that he keeps his word. So back to the map, Israel and Aram, they're not going to be successful. They're going to march on you. They're not going to be successful. In fact, I'm going to use that empire, Assyria, to judge the northern kingdom and Aram. And just so you know, after he's done with them, he's going to come for you. Yeah, but because I don't like people messing with my people, even though I'm going to send Assyria down there to mess with my people, I'm going to mess with Assyria for messing with my people. Follow that logic, everybody, right? And he goes on, and he says, and you can bet that it will happen because there will be this virgin who will have a son, and here's what his name's gonna be. Emmanuel, God with us. Two chapters forward, comes back to the baby, chapter nine, verse six. For uh, to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be up on our shoulders. Oh, so it's gonna be some kind of military leader, all right? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What? 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 Did, you, did you say that a baby would be born that'd be called God? Like, God would be born? There's never been anybody who said anything like this before. This sounds like blasphemy. Mighty God, God will be born? Makes no sense. Ahaz blows it all off, chooses his own way, implements his own plan. Sure enough, just as God had promised, Assyria attacks Israel and the armies have to withdraw from Judah, from Jerusalem, to go and defend themselves. Within 12 years, 
Assyria has so dominated Israel, the northern kingdom, and Aram that, that they have taken off the best and the brightest of the Israelites back to Assyria, imported a lot of Assyrians into Israel, that by the time Jesus shows up, this area, the northern kingdom, which was called Samaria in those days, was filled with people who for all practical purposes were so interbred with the Assyrians and the other nations around them that for all practical purposes, the 10 tribes of Israel had ceased to exist just as God said they would. 20 years later, just as was prophesied, the armies of Assyria marched down to the walls of Jerusalem and then, then, the then king Hezekiah has to ransom the city's wealth to, to spare the temple. 90 years later, just as Isaiah said, the Babylonians would march on Assyria, that giant empire, and destroy their empire. Nobody thought it was possible. Under the leadership of the, of the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, they destroy the walls of Jericho. They destroy the temple. They export the best and the brightest back to Babylon. This is where Daniel, the three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that's where they come in. Surely the Babylonians would reign forever. But no, not so, because along came the Persians. And the Persians dominated and they destroyed the Babylonians and they reigned for 300 years. And, 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 and then they had an empire that seemed like it would never be taken down until Alexander the Great came in and he defeated them. And then the Greeks would reign for centuries and then the Romans would come in and take over the entire world at the time. And Ahaz, 700 and something years later, forgotten. Prophecies of Isaiah didn't make sense to them at the time. The Jews who were there when Jesus arrived began to wonder, began to know, we've been forgotten. All the pain, all the trouble, all the turmoil, all the years of captivity, all the years of slavery, have we been forgotten by God? There seemed to be no activity of God on their behalf. No linear history seemingly working out in their favor. They were the stomping grounds of nations. They had no power, no leverage. Where was God? Where was their Messiah? And then, for some inexplicable reason, 735 years later, when the table of history was set just as the way God wanted it, it was the fullness of time, Paul says. The completeness of time that God sends an angel to Mary and says, you're the girl promised 700 and something years ago to a king who didn't want to hear it. You're the girl spoken of a prophecy long ago. And then he comes to Joseph in a dream and says to him, she will give birth to a son. Joseph, she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It might bring you shame. It might bring you embarrassment. It might bring grief to you. But I want you to know she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his, pro his people from their sins. And all of this, the angel says, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. She's the one, Joseph. The one prophesied 700 years. The prophecy that made no impact on Ahaz, that made no sense at the time it was given. And the virgin will be with child and she will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home as his wife. Promise made. Promise kept. Promise made. Promise kept. Up until the first Christmas, God had been invisible. 
No one could see the face of God and live, we are told from the Old Testament. But one night, to a bunch of bedraggled, unkept shepherds who were living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, the night sky lights up with a message from the angels. And just for a moment, the heavens open up and we get a a glimpse of where Jesus has come from, a taste of his glory, the light, the joy, the celebration, the divine otherness and glory of God that leaves the shepherds shaking in their boots. But all this extraordinary glory points to something that ironically is so ordinary and commonplace that it almost feels like a letdown. And the angels say to the shepherds, and this will be a, say it with me, this will be a sign unto you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And they're like, that's the sign? No, 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 you guys are the sign. Come on. Like, the skies are lit up and we're freaked out by all of you. And, and you know, when people say, God, give me a sign, what they're asking for is something Miraculous, something at least serendipitous that shows that God is here, that God is with me, lets us know God's here. So the sign is an unwed peasant girl gets pregnant and has a baby in a cave somewhere with a bunch of smelly animals and the baby is lying in the animal's feeding trough called a manger in swaddling cloths. That's the sign the angels announce. And then the angels leave And they go back into heaven, but someone from heaven stayed behind. Someone who could have left and returned in the glory and the splendor of heaven didn't go with them, stayed. The creator of heaven and earth stayed here. Why? So that he could be with us in our world, on our turf in the ordinariness of things because he is Emmanuel, God with us. The the sign that the shepherds received, the sign that you and I need is that God wants to be with you more than you can ever know. The miracle of this ordinary sign is that God has done this incredible act of downward mobility to meet us right where we are. And whatever it takes to engage you, God will do it. It looked like he'd forgotten them. It seemed like he'd forgotten the promise that he'd abandoned them, but God was active the entire time. And God was orchestrating the pieces of history just as he always has been, listen, and he is right now. He is right now. And and we can forget that the the Babylonians needed a rule for a while. The Persians needed a rule for a while. The the, the Greeks needed a rule for a while. The Romans needed to create their roads and their systems and and bring a common language. The the Pax of Romana, the, the peace of Rome, had to be a thing so that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son into the now, I have two daughters, and if you were to ask my girls, does your dad exist? Is he present in your lives? 
And they had to build a case for you based on whether or not I do what they want me to do, when they want me to do it, and how they want me to do it. My daughters would conclude that I don't exist. Can I get a witness from some parents? That if he does exist, he is certainly not present the way we want him to be. When, where, how. And so it is with us that we build our case on the presence and the activity and the reality of God in our lives based on whether or not he did what we asked him to do, when we asked him to do it, and how we wanted it done. And then it's no wonder why at different points in our lives we wonder whether or not God is with us, whether or not he cares what's going on in our lives. Are you anywhere, God, in my life, in my world? If so, where are you? And this is why this season matters. We come to this incredible season of Christmas where God has spoken in an unmistakable way, right in the middle of history, dividing history in half, saying, hey, I am alive. I am active. I am a promise keeper. Just as I promised the nation of Israel that there would be a Messiah, just as I promised Ahaz that there would be a baby born, that he would be born to a virgin, that God would be with you. In, in, in the same way that I promised them, the same way I delivered for them, You can trust me to be God in all of your situations. You can trust me for grace and mercy and peace and provision, but just please trust me because I'm the God who keeps his promise. I'm the God that keeps his word when it's obvious. When it's not, you can trust me. I am Emmanuel, God with you. In the meantime... I think it'd be wise, again, to take the advice that Isaiah gave to Ahaz all those years ago in Isaiah 7-4. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. And to contextualize it for us, from, from God's perspective... Whatever is facing you, whatever is facing me, however serious, however big it seems, from God's point of view, the things that are stressing me out, the things that are stressing you out are really no big deal. In fact, they're already taken care of. And so whoever and whatever is causing you to fear, the thing that's causing you to sleep, the thing that has you so anxious, the thing that is causing tears to fall down your face, all the things that you cause you to say, God, can you, will you? Are you, God says to you and to me, from my point of view, what's facing you, just smoldering stumps. I'm the God who is active and involved in your life. I'm the God who keeps his promise. And one of the things that I've promised you is that I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, that I love you, that I see you, that I know what's going on in your life. And this Christmas season should be the sign that you need, that I need, that God will work things out for your good. The baby was born just as he said. And you can live with the assurance and the certainty every day that God is with us, that God is with you because he 
made his promises, he kept his promise. Promise made, promise kept. Promise made, promise kept. This is why we celebrate Christmas and we prepare our hearts through Advent like we do. It's why it's more than just a baby in a manger and a, a nativity scene and, and a tree and presents under a tree. It's about history, everybody. It's about a God who invaded history, who, who split history in half, who, who is in the middle of your present, and he knows exactly what's going to happen in your future. Christmas is about a God who keeps his promise every day in history and every single day of your life until one day Jesus returns. Please hear me. Jesus is coming back. And, and, and he removes sin. And he's going to remove sorrow and death and loneliness and pain and worry. But in the meantime, between the promise and its fulfillment, he's here. He's active. He's working on your behalf. He's a promise-keeping, a promise-making God. Promise-made, promise-kept. Here's the thing. Maybe you know God is with you in your head. But maybe you haven't let the love of God that would cause God to come down into humanity. You haven't let that act of love penetrate your heart. You may or may not be aware that you are keeping God at arm's length, the God who wants to be with you. You are keeping him at arm's length. And maybe it's because you're too busy with your life. Maybe it's because you're too distracted to stop and notice what this season is really about. Or, or maybe, come on, can I just lean in on you for a minute? Maybe the hurts and the disappointments the confusion, the disorientation of your current reality has caused you to keep God at arm's length because you have a hard time believing that God cares based on what's happening in your life. Maybe you think that you have to climb up some sort of spiritual ladder and get fixed up a little before you can receive God's presence and God says, no, I want to meet you right where you are, how you are. In the thick of the pain, in the thick of the brokenness, I will come to you and I will be with you in your world. And Paul says in Acts chapter 17, though he's not far from any one of us, meaning that no matter what your current relationship with him is like, or your current God reality is like, no matter if you wouldn't win any Christian prizes for how Christ-like you are, Paul says he's close. And that's the message of Christmas. That's the meaning of Emmanuel God with us in our worst situations. God with us in our best situations. God with us even when we don't know him. Even when we don't understand him. God still with us. Promise made. Promise kept. Listen, listen, listen. Promise made. Promise kept. Listen, listen, not just for the nation of Israel, not just for King Ahaz, not just for the Apostle Paul, not just for Mary and Joseph. Listen, promise made, promise kept for you, for me. Our God 
is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. You, you can count on him. You can count on him. Whatever's going on, whatever's happening, you can count on him. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Father, thank you for this promise, this story, which seems so out of place with what you said. Seemed to be, for those people then, irrelevant to what they were, they were being faced with an attack now. And your promise to them, for them, wasn't actually fulfilled until later. But God, the point is that you never go back on your word. You are unswervingly faithful to your promises. To be with us to the end of the age. To be our comfort. To be our helper by the Holy Spirit to empower us by the Holy Spirit. You promised that you would never leave us, that you would never forsake us, that you have not forgotten us, that you have written us. We learned this last week. You have, you have written us on the palm of your hands. We are yours. We belong to you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I abandon you. Promise made. Promise kept. So I come to you, Lord for all the weary hearts, for all the broken hearts, for all the people who are struggling on some level. And I also come to you for those who everything is going well. Got so many of us, it's a great season of our life. And sometimes it can get so good that we forget who made it good. I pray once again, you remind us who you are. You are God here. You are God with us. And God, I pray, specifically for three or four or five people in this room, one or two watching this online who just need you to be near. I pray that you would be near them, oh God. Be present. Be active. Be in their lives. So close, so near that you become unmistakable to them. I pray this over them in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.